giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Margaret McKenna, software engineer at Devoted Health. Margaret, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here. So listeners of the show might be familiar with Devoted Health, but in case someone didn't hear the previous episode, maybe just give a very brief introduction to what exactly the company is from your perspective. Sure. So Devoted Health is based on the premise that healthcare can be different than it is today in the U.S. So it can be cheaper and it can be more value-oriented. Specifically, how we're trying to enact that vision today is by creating a Medicare Advantage plan, which is uh, Medicare is the government paid for insurance for seniors. And the advantage part is that it's provided by private insurers. Cool. So if you want to hear the previous episode where we had DJ on episode 298 at giantrobots.fm. And so what do you actually work on at Devoted Health? So I work on the technology team, and we're building the software behind the insurance plan. So Mm -hmm. if there's two ideas behind how Devoted could be an improvement in healthcare, one of them is to partner with really incredible primary care doctors, Mm -hmm. and the other one is to build great modern software that's efficient and fast and reliable, many of the things that healthcare IT is not known for today. So Mm. I'm working on the team that's building those internal tools, internal to our operations teams and sales teams and all mm-hmm. that. So we touched on it briefly with DJ, but like, what is the stack that you're working in? So we're using Go, gRPC, uh, GraphQL, and React with mm-hmm. Postgres database. Yeah. How familiar were you with those technologies before you joined the company? With the exception of Postgres, not at all. <laughs> yeah. And so actually, it's worth knowing, like, when did you join Devoted? Uh, I joined at the end of July of this year. So. Yeah. Only probably four months. Yeah. So congratulations. So were you comfortable, you know, totally moving to a new stack? And how did you think about that? Yeah, I've been at a number of companies over my career and been in grad school and built projects on my own. And I don't think any of those experiences were the same. So Mm -hmm. I've worked in Java, I worked in Ruby and Python. And so when you've tried a bunch of new things enough times, another new one is just Mm -hmm. another new one. Has there been anything that surprised you? I've been surprised to really enjoy the type safety of Go. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's going to be constraining. But actually, it's um, been really nice to know what to expect from your software. Yeah. What were you working in before? Um, immediate, well, yeah, so immediately, immediately before, before I was leading a pretty large engineering team, so I wasn't writing any code. Mm. And then before that, it was Rails. Yeah. So you went from not writing any or much code at all to being a software engineer on a team again. Yeah. Was that an intentional choice? Like, did you seek that out as your next position? No. So it was unexpected to wind up at Devoted. I had joined a really wonderful team at the Broad and was really excited about helping grow that team. There are about 40 engineers. But I had a run-in with Todd Park, who may have been mentioned in DJ's episode, Mm -hmm. who was one of the CTOs under Obama, co-founder of Athena Health. Mm -hmm. And he told me about this little startup, Devoted, that he was working on. And uh, it wasn't even that little then, this spring. (laughs) And he's just a really, really experienced person in healthcare and technology and private sector and public sector and how they all come together. And he's an incredible visionary and a passionate person. And if he kind of describes to you 
an incredible vision of the world, it's very hard not to follow him. Mm-hmm. I also happen to work at the U.S. Digital Service, which mm-hmm. he was one of the instigators behind. So I'm susceptible to messages of mission <laughs> and bringing your technology skills to them. Mm-hmm. So I was intrigued when I talked to Todd and then talked to more people on the team. There are a bunch of people from the digital service. DJ was there. And it just seemed like a really unique opportunity. The engineering team, when I joined, I was just the seventh engineer. Mm -hmm. So it was really small. It was a great time to join and make an impact. And so it was hard to leave the Broad. It felt very bittersweet um, because I wasn't really looking. I was happy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking for something else. But this seemed like a really special opportunity. Mm -hmm. So becoming a software engineer again, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't expecting that, but was it more about like finding whatever position was available in the mission that you wanted or was it a conscious choice once you decided to go to Devoted? It was pretty conscious. So about a year ago, my wife and I were expecting our second child and I was leaving a company then. And I spent about three months because I knew that I wanted to take some time off with the baby. I spent about three months talking to companies in Boston Um, I remember that fondly. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, And I had a lot of wonderful conversations and kind of tested a bunch of hypotheses I had for myself about what my interests were. Did I want to be an individual contributor? Did I want to be a leader? Did I want to be at a tiny company, a big company, somewhere in between? Did I care about the domain? And at the end of that, I had realized that I really was interested in healthcare and I kind of knew what was out there. Mm-hmm. So when Devoted came along, I wasn't making the decision in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I sort of knew that this was special compared to what was out there. I, I had recent data about what was out there um, for me and things that I might be good at or interested in. And I knew that this was pretty unique. So it wasn't a hard decision to make when it happened. Mm-hmm. So given that the technology stack is not what you were previously working in, what was the interview process like? So there was a take-home coding assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, in Go? No. Okay. So you could use whatever language you, you wanted. It was pretty straightforward. It was fine exercise. Mm-hmm. And then you came in for half day of interviews. I also spent a lot of time talking to a few of the early engineers there mm-hmm. because it was when you join a, a startup it's important to know what the culture is like, and it's really set by those early people. And it's hard to gauge that in just a half day of interviews. Right. Um, So I spent a fair amount of time with people before I was ready to pull the trigger. Yeah. So you did. And then was there um, a period of learning or were you just thrown into the the (laughs) fire? A little bit thrown into the fire. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of natural with, I was, you know, like I said, the seventh engineer. Everyone there was super helpful, so I wasn't alone in it. I also sort of naturally found the insurance space is so large in terms mm-hmm. of all the things that need to be built or integrated with. And building an application, which this is sort of interesting to me and new, our stack, a bunch of it is totally from scratch. So right. there aren't as many frameworks in Go. And the ones that are there aren't as widely adopted. Mm -hmm. So we pretty much built everything ourselves. So there Mm -hmm. was just like a lot of ground to cover. And I found myself having also led an SRE team before. I found myself um, actually drawn to this kind of infrastructure side at first Mm -hmm. because there was a bunch of work there to be done around monitoring and centralized logging and all those things. And in fact, my role right now is a mix of I lead one team that's purely software engineering and another team that is more of like platform engineering SRU. 
You mentioned you started it with seven engineers. How has the team grown in the six months since you joined? Yeah, well, actually, it's only four months. Only four? <laughs> yeah. So I think we're like 16 people now mm-hmm. in engineering, three in SRE. Uh, another couple are joining next week. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot in percentage growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How have things changed in terms of maybe the interview process or the team dynamic? Or Sure. So a couple of us have tried to get more uniform on what we're asking in interviews. So at the beginning, you would just sort of go in and whatever you think you should ask in an interview is what happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And we tried to break that down into different interview types and then train other engineers on how to do those interviews. Mm -hmm. So I think that's brought more consistency in the interview process, which has Mm -hmm. been helpful. And I think hopefully makes a better experience for those being interviewed as well because they feel like they're touching on different topics. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of really great recruiters, which have been super helpful. And we've also, of course, had to adjust our onboarding process. It's always been one where this is, I think, pretty common. There's an onboarding doc. And if you're the next person, then you contribute to that, mm-hmm. which went OK for a while. But that's another one where we've tried to take some time to make it more deliberate when onboarding happens. So like when you join, you have five sessions scheduled with different engineers covering different topics from the application stack, but also on the infrastructure side. And how has the team structure evolved as Mm -hmm. the team has grown? So right now we have four pods, I Mm -hmm. guess you could call them. One is focused on health plan administration. So the easiest way to explain that to non-healthcare people is basically processing claims. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then we have member services, which is we don't have any consumer-facing technology, but we build software that our member guides use. Mm -hmm. So it's member-facing via an intermediary. And so that's the member services team. And then there's a provider operations team. So that's one of the teams that I lead. And that's how do we ingest provider data, which is quite heterogeneous because every single doctor's Mm -hmm. office basically will send you their own list of data in their own special way. Mm -hmm. And then we have a platforms team, which um, we're trying not to make a Mm -hmm. (laughs) catch-all. So it's specifically focused right now on build and deploy data infrastructure and core services. So have those pods, was it an intentional evolution or was it more organic? So the way that, as I understand, things were first organized is that they sort of divided the world of Medicare insurance into 13 work streams. So 13 areas (laughs) that had to be addressed and covered. Mm -hmm. Um, And the hiring for Devoted has also been really interesting. I think most people on the team certainly like probably 70% of people on the team have been a director or VP or architect. Mm -hmm. So the initial hires were really heavy on the, could I give you a work stream all on your own and could you be successful? Mm -hmm. So we started out that way, even with very senior people, one person to one large Mm -hmm. area breaks down pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So we basically clustered those work streams um, and they kind of, they did sort of naturally fall out of Mm -hmm. those. So I know you've only been there four months and I'm sure everything's great, but like, are there things that, especially since you have previous perspective of leading a team and being a director and that kind of thing, I'm sure that there are probably some things where you're like, we could do this better. Yep. <laughs> can, you talk, can you talk about some of those? Yeah, let me think about that. 
maybe a better way to start the the line of questioning <laughs> is like, do you as a software engineer, are you taking an active hand in evolving how the company works? Yeah, I think what's great about the culture is that many people take an active hand in mm-hmm. how it evolves. I think people do generally feel empowered to change things or address things or bring them up with a team if they see areas for improvement. So things like, you know, we have an on-call process that we, so we really just went live on October 1st. That was the first time we had production software. And we started live with an on-call process. Only the software engineers are on-call. And we basically asked people who are on-call to, if they see something that's not great about the process, like an alert that's sounding too much or something that's too manual or something that breaks too much for them to take time during their on-call to fix it. And I think the experience has gotten way better over even the last, mm-hmm. you know, six weeks or so. Yeah, I, I find that continuous improvement is one of the values of ThoughtBot, but making sure that you incorporate continuous improvement in your process is critical to making sure that you're constantly improving. And so it, it doesn't need to feel like, oh, my God, you know, there's all these problems and we can't ever fix it. But like as long as you're chipping away at them and understand that. You know, it's part of my job to make tomorrow better than today and next week better than this week. Then you can feel like you're moving forward. Yeah. Actually, how do you manage that at ThoughtBot? Because you have different teams that are working on different projects and different mm-hmm. cities. Like, how do you bring those ideas together? We have a couple different ways, but the core one is that all of that stuff is in GitHub as markdown files. Mm-hmm. And even if something is not exactly articulated in a markdown file in GitHub, we still use GitHub issues to track bugs in our process and the company itself. Mm, And then we prioritize the individual sort of product managers who lead the different parts of the company. So sales, marketing, people operations, they are the product manager for that area of the company. And so they prioritize the backlog and they organize the iterations around the company. So we use the same tools and techniques we do on our products on the company itself. Mm-hmm. And it's very transparent, but also there's downsides too. It can be noisy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it can be intimidating to and people know how GitHub works generally. Like you can subscribe to a repo and when people create an issue there, you get an email about it. Yeah. And so it can be pretty intimidating to on the poster side be like, oh, I'm posting an issue about the way that we work as a company. I got to get comfortable with the fact that like, you know, X number of people are going to get an email instantly about it. Yeah. How do you manage that? One is giving people time and space to get comfortable with that. It's different Mm -hmm. than how most people have worked before. The other is making sure that people understand that it's more important that the issue gets surfaced than exactly how it does or that they're the one who does it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have other values of trust and transparency. And in that, we talk about not having conversations behind closed doors and that kind of thing, like about other people or about problems. Mm -hmm. But everything is a priority. So it's more important that the problem get out than they not have a private conversation with their director to make sure that they're comfortable Right. Or that they've had it reviewed for typos because they just don't want to post something with a bunch of typos in it. That makes sense. And in the most extreme cases, I've had people come to me and say, I put together this Google Doc of this issue that I want to post, but would you post it for me? 
Interesting. And even though I would love for that person to be in a position where they're totally comfortable posting it, I also recognize like I'm in a position where I can post it and it will be okay. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's an okay compromise in my mind because it's more important that the issue get out yeah. there than... That's interesting. We've been running retros just since we've gone live mm -hmm. um, every couple of weeks. And I'm always a fan of doing retros because yeah. it gets stuff out before they become bigger problems. Yeah. But it also can be unwieldy. Like right now we have a team of 16. And as in typical retro fashion, some people talk a lot and some mm -hmm. people don't. Also, people like bring things up that maybe just aren't are super important for them, but may not be important mm -hmm. for the whole organization. Mm -hmm. Well, like what expectations do you set with people about these issues and like a response that they may or may not get? It's actually one area that we haven't done that great historically with, and we're getting better at it because more treating it as like the product manager is the director of that area mm. and they're responsible for making sure that they're running a retrospective and planning meeting and prioritizing that backlog and getting back to people and making it clear what the priority is and that kind of thing. So we've gotten, mm -hmm. we made significant process, but it is through that retrospective and planning meeting that we've done it. Yeah, And then making sure that there's status updates. One of the things for a retrospective that I've found helpful is do you have a facilitator? Someone I do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been really helpful because if you try to just run a retrospective as the team, it can be hard to like make sure everyone gets to talk and like work through prioritization of a thing. And on a large team, it might be that you go around and collect issues and it might be 17 issues on the list. How do you effectively get the three that we're going to fix for the next iteration? Absolutely. Yeah. So having a facilitator helps with that, I think. Yeah. So the way that we do it, it's usually like for the company stuff, it's the director who's typically doing that with the team. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been, so I've started a company. So I was at a startup with one engineer. <laughs> and then I joined, actually, when I joined Runkeeper, I think there were about 25 people. Mm -hmm. So the engineering team probably wasn't more than 12 or so. But I guess this goes back to the acceleration piece that I've never been in a company that's gone from seven to 18 in mm -hmm. three months. Mm -hmm. And that I think we are shifting from a place of everybody can kind of just do their own thing to how do we communicate mm -hmm. across the team? New people are joining. How do they hook into things that are happening? I can imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine that at a company that's in healthcare, you're trying to do things in a different way. You're mm -hmm. trying to break the traditional mold. And so there might be a tendency to be like, we got to make sure we don't become bureaucratic and right. we got to make sure that <laughs> yep. we don't fall into and just become like a big insurance company. Yep. There's probably healthy pushback on. Yeah, I think there's of some that. of that. Although on the engineering team, so there are a number of people from Athena Health, but mm. there's also a lot of consumer startup people. We're pretty diverse on the engineering side. And I don't think there are too many people from what you would consider like a older insurance company. Mm -hmm. So I think it's right that there is a bit of a sense of what the opposite of what we want to be is. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they're being conscious to not become that. But mm -hmm. luckily, I think that the DNA of the folks there is just it's very unlikely to become that. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have a big problem set. You mentioned 13 work streams just for Medicare. Medicare, yeah. But it doesn't stop there, right? Like, so how do you, especially as an individual software engineer, like, I'm sure the backlog is enormous. How do you yeah. deal with that? 
So each pod does have a product manager. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's a couple of product managers on a pod, depending on how many work streams are on that pod. And we don't have a strict scrum process that mm-hmm. every team has to follow. It's sort of whatever works best, but we do expect that every team has some kind of process. All of our work is in JIRA. That is common. You know, in the first part of sort of pre-January 1, this is our first year launching, the list of things to do is pretty prescribed. Mm -hmm. So CMS says, here are the regulations. You must comply. It's more of project management work. Uh Um, It's going to be really interesting. I think the team is excited about what happens after Q1 because I'm sure Mm -hmm. there'll be some reaction to January 1st. But what are the products that we want to build that are actually special for us? that are not just satisfy the regulations, but make us quite different than other insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And then I think it will be interesting to think about how we do sort of the roadmap process and idea generation. And um, we have a couple of people on the team who have great experience with user research and sort of folding them in more to the product process, I think mm-hmm. will be fantastic. So let's talk architecture a little bit. Sure. So does your architecture mirror sort of the pods and the work stream? Are you using microservices as the architecture? So we do have a microservice-based architecture, Mm -hmm. but it's in a mono repo. Mm -hmm. And it's basically sort of the high-level things that you would expect. Like there's a provider service and a member service. The mono repo, I assume, is an intentional choice. Have you been in a place that did that before? No. So what? I think what's it's great? You think it's great? <laughs> yeah. Good. So tell me why it's great. So it's a mono repo, not just for the software, but all of our data science work is in there. Mm-hmm. All of the Terraform for our AWS infrastructure is in there. There is not a line of any code that is happening in the company, as far as I know, that mm-hmm. is not in that repo. And it's really helpful to have visibility to be sure that you know what's happening. So one thing that is different. I think about being in a regulated environment is that being able to keep, I mean, every company needs to keep track of its data, but we need to be incredibly sure down to the ones and twos, not Mm -hmm. like rounding to tens or hundreds about what data we have and what data we don't have. So understanding all the processes that affect that and having visibility into them, I think is really valuable. So you're not like, oh, I'm just working in this repo. And I didn't know that there's some other repo Mm -hmm. where it does X to the data after the fact. So I think that's been really valuable. Certainly, I think for onboarding people, it's easier to put them into one place. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the microservices, another thing that sort of was a founding principle of the group was that we didn't want to do database joins across mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I think various people had experiences in the past where, for efficiency's sake, you would write some wacky join. Mm-hmm. And then it was really hard to reason about what was happening with the data later? And is this query the same as that one? So for reporting sake or for even what you've mm-hmm. surfaced in an application. So um, one thing that we do that's interesting and new to me is that we have a single database per service. Mm-hmm. So things are super isolated. Um, services talk to each other via gRPC. Mm-hmm. And then from the front end side, GraphQL can kind of compose queries that cut across services. Mm-hmm. I also think one reason not to use joins is because then you can scale your database. If you're not joining across tables, then you can yep. separate. The yeah, tables it make, definitely the makes it easier to shard later. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing about us right now, which will change, so it's great that it's there, but like scale is not our problem right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about signing people up for an insurance plan in the first year, you're talking thousands, you're not right. talking even tens of thousands. Right. So the 
sort of challenges that we have are more around getting the data model right and making reliability super important. Though hopefully in 10 years we'll be giant and then we'll care about, or maybe it will even for some services, they'll need to scale more rapidly than others. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's comforting knowing that it's easy to scale differently now, but it's not strictly required. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the monorepo for a second, like transparency of everything that's happening and everything that exists. How do you keep up with that volume? Is it a large volume of stuff or is it manageable? Meaning like, changes? Yeah, are you watching all the changes or? I do not watch all the changes. (laughs) I think that we're pretty good about tagging different people on Mm -hmm. things. So everything goes through PR and then you often will tag some people that have to know and some people that might be interested to know. A lot of things that are more foundational changes we service in a request for comment doc Mm -hmm. that we put in Slack. And so I think there's an, enough ways to know about important changes without mm-hmm. needing to keep track of every single thing that flies mm-hmm. by. Is the coordination of services and architecture sort of the same way too? Like that request for comment and that kind of thing is like, oh, you know, we're thinking of making the service this way or changing the service this way? Yep. Cool. Yeah. Is it Postgres as the database everywhere? So no um, alternative databases or? So Postgres is our application database, but then mm-hmm. we're using Redshift for a data warehouse. Okay. So there's a whole other world of yeah data infrastructure. And is that mostly the data science team that's working on that stuff? Or are no. you So we that have well? a really interesting stat from this. We're using mm-hmm. Periscope as a dashboarding tool on top okay. of Redshift. So we have about five people on the data science team. And then there's a few analysts on the operations team that basically sit with the data science team. Mm -hmm. We have something like 100 people have logins to Periscope, which are not cheap. (laughs) And I think our DAU over MAU is like 60% or something. It's something Uh like really crazy. So a huge amount of the company is actually looking at those dashboards every single day, Mm -hmm. which is really awesome to be in a company that's so data driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you have to be in the world that we're in, but it's been really awesome to see it in action. So you've obviously had to learn a lot in the four months since joining the company, yeah. whole new technology stack, a new organization, new teams, new, do you feel like you can breathe now? <laughs> Great question. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, it's not only a lot, but we have this deadline coming up January mm-hmm. 1st where we're going to start serving members. So if we don't process a claim, that's your health. If we don't fill your prescription, that's your health. So there is pressure on getting it right. Um, and I think that's sort of, it's a good kind of stress to have. It's like mm-hmm. there are the stakes that you want to be involved in. But for sure, it's a lot. Is there something on the horizon for you where you're saying, like, I want to learn this next or Mm -hmm. this is a challenge that I want to solve next for me? Well, I've really been enjoying. So because I'm sort of on a application team and a platform team, Mm -hmm. I've been enjoying kind of going back and forth. So in the last couple of weeks, I did a deep dive on provider ops and getting more into the application code. And it's interesting to then come back to platforms work because we're, we're moving to Kubernetes and thinking with my developer hat now, like, oh, I just did this thing over here. Like, can I do it in our new Kubernetes land? Mm-hmm. So I think right now I'm just enjoying the go deep, come back up, figure out, okay, how can we make things better for other developers? Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for stopping by and sharing with me and Absolutely. the listeners. 
if people want to get in touch with you or follow along with you or whatever, where's the best places for them to do that? I'm on Twitter at Margaret L M C K. And you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.